Hey guys, welcome back to the Warlad Podcast. I'm James Marshall and thanks for tuning in to another episode. And thanks to anyone who has spread the word of the Warlad Podcast. Any shares, reviews or comments, all of that helps this podcast grow organically. So if you do enjoy this podcast, please go do one of those tasks above. Also, most of the episodes will now be going up on YouTube, so if you do prefer watching them, make sure you head over to the Waterlad YouTube channel and subscribe there. Also, Todd's Racing, they have an awesome opportunity for anyone who's interested in horse ownership. If you're keen to be part of the next champion harness racer, Waterlad, then please get in touch with me. Percentages will be as little as 1% and there'll be no ongoing costs. So hit me up on the Waterlad Instagram page if you're interested. Anyway, I've got a great one for you guys today, so let's roll the intro. Oh, what a lad. Here we go. This is it. This is the moment everyone's been waiting for. I know everyone's super excited for this, and so am I, because we're in the presence of a legend. He started off as an NRL gun, playing for teams including the Warriors, Panthers, and Manly, as well as representing his country at the highest level with the Kiwis. But all those sporting successes are easy to forget as post-footy, he's been able to create not just a cool brand, but a culture in the form of YKTR. He sells some of the coolest clothes on the planet and has one of the best podcasts in the game. He's also created YKTR Sports, which is changing sports media. And along the way, he's been inspiring so many by being always willing to share his knowledge. And of course, like all my guests are, he is an absolute lad. He's one of the greats. It is Isaac John. Welcome, bro. Thanks for having me back again, bro. <laughs> Are we going to talk about this? <laughs> yeah, well, mate, I forgot to push record. Starstruck <laughs> is one of the greatest content creators on the podcast. I got about 10 minutes through, but we're back and we're live and we're ready to go. Not live, but we're ready to go. Once again, thank you for the kind intro. Um, it's, always, it's always weird when you hear those types of things. Obviously, you move so quickly through your day and um, when people start to reflect like that, it's, it's really interesting to hear and um, yeah, grateful. Grateful to be here, bro. How do you look back on your career? Because obviously you've done so much. Your footy was probably, what, four or five years ago now. How do you look back on your footy career? I don't really remember it, to be honest. Like, I never, I remember when I played football, like, whenever we used to go out and, and like, talk to girls, I never used to tell people I was a football player. Like, mm. I hated being associated just as a football player. I never used to post, like, football. I most, I post more stuff about me playing now than I did back then. Um, I kind of had this weird stigma, stigma within me that I didn't really want to tell people, but I really enjoyed it. Like, many of the lessons that I learned in business transfer over. Um, plenty of them don't as well. So, um, I look back with fond memories. I had some great coaches in terms of Ivan Clary and mentors, and mm. um, it's it's a skill set that you, that you learn that you can transfer to your next part of your life if you use it correctly. Like the the biggest one is like feedback loop. Like in a game, you can make a mistake, and on the on the run, you have to fix it and then get over it, and then sort of move on to the next play. Or if the shape isn't working, you have to make adjustments. And then while that's all happening, bro, you got everyone sort of watching you as well, and then you're on national television. Yeah. So I think the feedback loop's really interesting when I look back on it now. And then you have to go to Monday, or sit in front of a video, and, and your names come up, and Isaac John missed tackle, led to try. Mm. <laughs> so, so like that that style, um, I really appreciate that now because that's what business is like. Like, oh, this isn't working. Cool, let me make an adjustment on the go. Um, and I sort of see myself as like a halfback as well. Like when, when the game's on the line, I'm with the ball. And when we lose, I'm happy to front the camera and say, fuck, we fucked up. So um, plenty of lessons there, bro. One thing I did want to start with was a childhood friend of yours. I know you grew up with him in Tokoroa. Um, how good was it to see Quade Cooper back out there the other weekend kicking the winning goal for the Wallabies? 
Yeah, full circle. And obviously, not just kicking the goal against anyone, it was against the box as well. So they're defending mm. champs. The thing I loved about it is sort of the kick was great. And even just the way he sort of summed himself up afterwards and um, talked about his ego. Obviously, you got Hodge there who's got – he's a station wagon. Like, he's got a big boot, you know what I mean? So yeah. he could knock it over pretty easily. Um, but backed himself and got it done. And just even seeing his reaction, it was more like – Give us, give us something, Quaid, not just the, the old humble, like, oh, <laughs> grateful. Uh, but yeah, really enjoyed his speech afterwards and sort of Harry carrying himself. And um, that was probably the more impressive part. And 2011, like, had the world at his feet. He was exciting. It was kind of like, kind of like that Carlos Spencer sort of vibe, first sort of influencer mm-hmm. in that rugby sort of space. And everyone's paying attention to what he's wearing and how he's acting. And sort of how he probably handled that is probably not the same person that he is today. So the evolution of Quaid is, is something to be proud of and proud to call him a friend. Mate, that's so cool. It's so cool to see someone like that do that full circle because, like you said, no one wanted him for a while there. He's come around and he seems to really have grown as a person and you can see that his footy's improved because of it. Yeah, and he's like he, – like, even though he's like famous, he's he's a low key dude. Like he hangs mm. around his he hangs around his little brother, um, and Dil Brown, who looks after his like photography and stuff. Like he's he's not he's not out there drinking. He doesn't drink any mm. stuff anymore. Um, loves being around his family. Um, loves providing for his family. But Quaid's always been that guy. He's always loved to have people winning around him. Um, a lot of our friends when when he moved to Brisbane and he started to make it, like a lot of our friends that we grew up with used to go live with him and then go live with him for free, never ask him for anything. Um, was always looking after people and sort of stuff like that. So that's probably the side of Quaid that a lot of people don't see. They see him driving a G wagon and rocking cool shit yeah. and hanging around Sunny Bourne and he's fucking cool. Um, but they, behind all that sort of that. Instagram persona, there's a, there's a big heart there. And he's always been like that. He's always been um, like, he's always kind of like the leader of the group as well. So people sort of gravitate towards him. Um, so him knocking over that kick is nothing. It's just a, just a byproduct of the person that he is right now. And it's great to see it and great to see him get some recognition off the back of it. Yeah. So cool. So you grew up with um, Quaid, you grew up with Sean Maitland, a couple of Kiwi legends and lads. Um, so how come you went down the league path instead of follow those two down the rugby path? My dad was just a f- pure league. He hated rugby. Um, but we also had a league town. So uh, we have two league teams in our hometown and kind of just one now. We had two back in the day, but it's kind of merged into one. So a lot of those smaller towns around the Waikato area are kind of more league dominant. Even like Batata, yeah. used to have league teams. And then um, Huntley have a couple of teams. Narawahia um, have Tudonga Huawei and the Panthers. And like, you know what I mean? So um, more blue collar in around those areas. But yeah, we're kind of league towns in. Uh, my dad was my coach since we were six to sixteen, along with Quaid. Like I used to play half, and Quaid used to play first five or five eight. Um, but we like from six to sixteen. I reckon we would have lost about maybe six games all up. True. Yeah. So, and I like I can remember every loss that we had in teams and what age we were because it didn't happen too often. So we, we were kind of that crew that had a bunch of mates, um, and we all grew up together and played together. And my dad used to take do like Broncos training camps and stuff like that, like <laughs> online courses and stuff. And we used to be running Bronco plays and stuff at like 10. So we, we were pretty advanced, uh, but it set us up pretty well for football later on. And like mm. he, he obviously moved over to – Quaid obviously moved over to uh, Churchy and Brisbane because he went to Queensland when he was like 13 for a year, killed it, come back, played with us, and then ended up getting a scholarship there. But then by then, like me and my other friend – Tums, like we were like 14, 15, and we were playing like open men's. So mm. we're very advanced, and obviously, you have to grow up pretty quick as well. You start drinking with the boys when you're 14, 15, and hanging sure. around parties and stuff like that. So, yeah, um, yeah it's a good place to grow up. 
And was pro footy the dream, even from that age? Obviously, if you're playing at that level at 14, you're probably thinking you're probably going to go pretty far. Oh, I was my bro. My first game when I was fourteen, like I went to go watch my older brother play. He was about eighteen at the time, mm. and uh, we played Kowado. <laughs> and if you know, if you know the Kowado region is well known for like Mongol mob. So, and we were kind of like a black power town. So I remember rocking up, and they were short a half, and like I was obviously like, pretty confident in myself, and I was like, "Fuck, I'm just going to jump on." Played well yeah. and stuff, but I remember these guys having like bulldogs on their face and stuff like that. <laughs> And one of my mates, he was running, and he was about 18 as well, and he stepped this guy, and the, this mongrel mob dude just swipe kicked him, like, didn't even try and kick, like, proper, like, MMA, he kicked him, flipped him upside down, and then his mum started come running on, and he, I remember this mongrel mob guy just going, like, fuck you, I'll fuck you up, and I was like, oh, shit, like, I really shouldn't be here. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was a confident kid trying to do chip and chases and shit like that. Wasn't making much tackles, though. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> Did you ever get involved in gangs or anything? Nah, 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 nah. Quaid was a bit of a gangster when we were younger. Was nah, I, I, I had really good parents. Um, yeah. Obviously, it was in and around me. Like, we were one of those towns where you couldn't wear a colour and our, we couldn't wear red. True. So if you wore red, you have to get into a fight, basically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, nah, it wasn't, wasn't part of, like – no, nah, I wasn't, I wasn't nowhere near that sort of stuff. It was in and around me. Uh, when I was five years old, my rep coach was my uncle and he was in the black power. Mm. And I've talked about the story on the Batuta Advocate actually. And, um, he gave me his key and I remember this vividly. He gave me his key and then, um, he goes, go behind the grandstand at the local ground and open up the boot. So I was like, all oh, right, cool. Like five years, just do what you're told, open up the boot. And, um, then him and his two guys come running around the corner. They flipped up the mat and there was like baseball bats underneath there as well. Jeez. And then these two like mongrel mobs come running around the corner. And I'm just standing like five years old. My mom's like, get over here, get over here. And the boys are just having a swing at each other with baseball bats. So, um, like it wasn't in around me, yeah. but I just knew that wasn't for me. And in our hometown, like my, my dad, for example, everyone works in the mill. I just like, oh, just looking at that mill and can leave. What should we call it? It was, it was my biggest motivation to get out. Mm. Um, and I just saw sports as my way out. And then you got signed by the Warriors. I think you're only 18 when you got signed by the Warriors. So, mate, you were you were a wizard at a young age. Um, yeah. So I was signed to Parramatta when I was like 14, 15 oh, as well. True. So in my school holidays, I used to come over here and do camps. And um, and like Hainsey was the guy that I used to stay. Oh, like just Hoz the scope. Um, he used to have a house where the boys used to come stay. Um, I, I didn't stay in their house, but I used to always be over their house because they were Kiwi and I could sort of relate to them as well. Yeah. So I get, I, I was coming to Sydney probably four times a year to do training camps and stuff. And then, um, the twenties was going to launch and Tony Iro was a Cook Island guy and, um, sort of knew I could play a bit. And so that's how I got signed to the Warriors, went from high school to training full time. So it's pretty interesting. And then the Toyota Cup had just formed too around that stage too. Eh? I remember watching the um, Warriors under twenties play and seeing a young like Stacey Jones coming through the ranks and in the form of yourself. <laughs> what was it like playing in that competition? Yeah, it was cool. Um, like I got to play Premier League the year before, so and then we were the first year of twenties. And like when I look back on our south side now, we were loaded. So I think like fifteen of our starting seventeen went on to go play NRL. So uh, we had a really good side and uh, got done in the semi-finals to a pretty good Brisbane side. Never should have got done, but um, yeah, it was cool, bro. It was like that week in week out sort of grind. Um, we were on telly a lot, so it was kind of like mm. we had this like bit of fame about us, which was like weird. Yeah. Um, which is good and a bad thing, but yeah, it was cool. Like, really enjoyed everything about that. Obviously, had some really great coaches, and then sort of just progressed from there. And fast tracked into the Warriors the following year. What was it like going into that environment? Obviously, pretty lots of legends in this side. 
Mm. So, like, yeah, not, 2009 was a weird year because obviously we come off the back of 20s and then we rolled into, like, a Premier League comp that wasn't as, like, because 20s had come taken over. Like, you're just kind of playing on random parks again. So when I, when I the week before I debuted, like, we had a buy for our Premier League Cup, but then I had to go back down another level to play Odahu Cup, like, play for Odahu and oh, Fox yeah. Memorial. Yeah. So I went from playing Fox Memorial then debuting against the Roosters and um, Stacey Jones was my halfback, so it was fucking trippy, man. Um, we ended up winning, and I only played like three games that year, um, but it was a good year. Sort of next year, uh, we I come in, and we won five or six games in a row, which was like pretty exciting for me yeah. at the time, and got resigned off the back of that, but ended up doing my ACL the same year. So um, big, seven, big seven receiver, took a dive at my leg and got me. So <laughs> that'll do it. Brutal. But did you feel <laughs> confident when you got your chance to play for the Warriors? Did you always feel comfortable in the environment or not really? Yeah, I was, I was one of those players, bro. So if you watch me play like Reggie's and that, like I probably wouldn't stand out too much. But then as I the, as like I got higher and higher, like I was yeah. able to control things around me a lot better. Um, like the higher, the, the bigger the game, I was always a lot better, even yeah. in 20s final. I think in the 20s final series, I scored like five or six tries. I was sitting them up flat. Like, um, and then rolled into first grade, my debut, I set up a really good try. Um, and even when I come back to Penrith and when I was actually focused on football, <laughs> mm. which is the other part of the equation, um, I was, I was, the bigger the game, I always got better. So I was always confident I could do something, but I was kind of injury plagued as well. So, um, and that's just what is what it is. And I'm grateful for those injuries now because it sort of pushed me towards that reading. Mm. So Michael Luck, who was, who was like the OG, um, toiler back in the day and yeah. great number 30 for the Warriors. He was very uns- unassuming. Like you'd look at him and you're like, fuck, he must be the dumbest cunt because <laughs> his head's always in the wrong place. He's always <laughs> stitched up. But then you had a conversation with him outside of the, like, I used to always go for coffees and I always hung around the older boys. Jake Lilliman was my roommate. So them two had this little, um, Townsville connection. Mm. So he's hanging around those boys and like you talk to him, bro. He's so interesting, like diverse on so many different levels. Um, could talk about everything. And he, he introduced me to my first couple of books while I had an ACL. And obviously I, I done well in school as well. So reading wasn't like a chore for me, but yeah. I really started to enjoy it and sort of just, yeah, it sort of grew from there. I just really love reading off the back of that. That's cool. And that's, and that's sort of how you sort of learned the whole sort of business side of things from those injuries. Was it? Was that when you started looking ahead for life after rugby? Um, I used to like jump on like 2010. I was jumping on like, how can I make money online? I was asking yeah, these yeah. types of questions. Um, but yeah, it was more so that you're reading progression. Like you start reading things that you're interested about. So, um, I was reading about, uh, the Tour de France and, and mm. Lance Armstrong and stuff like that because I was on the bike every single day. So I yeah. wanted it. And then I'll read about boxing. So I'd read Mike Tyson's. Then you gravitate from like autobiographies into uh, self-development. So the secret was kind of a big thing at the time. Mm. You kind of get bored of that. You move into business. And then I found myself reading books about business or entrepreneurs or talking to guys like that had friends in the business space that were just traveling to LA for a couple of days. Like I just thought that was so sick. Mm. And that made my, my stomach was like getting more excited about that than football. And now I kind of knew that was my time to transition. Obviously this is a lot later in life. And yeah. Read about a hundred books by then, but I found my interest peaking in different in different things. So, mm. um, yeah, just kind of gravitated towards that after. So you, you mentioned before around um, when you put your mind to sort of the footies. What was your league lifestyle like? Were you were you a hard trainer or were you a pretty cruisy sort of guy? Um, so early on, I was a very hard trainer because, like, I loved football. Like, yeah. I used to watch it all the time. I was like, um, I can talk about football really well because I really enjoyed video sessions and yeah. I talked to assistant coaches and I just really enjoyed – have you watched Mighty Ducks? 
Oh, long, you long, long, long time ago. <laughs> oh, so, like, there's a guy named Charlie Conway, and like, he like he's an okay player, but he he makes like a better coach. Like, he yeah. sort of sacrifice. I always thought I was going to be like him. Like, I always thought I was going to gravitate towards coaching because mm-hmm. I enjoyed the X's and O's and about it. Um, so, obviously, when things were going well for me, like I was off the piss. Um, like I was studying, I was learning about the game. Um, I used to go off and do my own training camps and stuff. Not not train on my own, but there's a guy named Keegan Smith who. Um, it's pretty well known because he trained Sonny Bull. Yeah. He used to be the Roosters trainer. So I used to be like inquisitive about like reading about nutrition, about all this sort of stuff. I would go up to Byron Bay and do three day camps and stuff like that. I was mm. kind of that guy because I knew I wasn't, I had basic talent or like above average talent, but I knew I just wasn't like a Shawnee Johnson or a Kevin Locke or someone that could just rock up in a day and do something special. I was one of those guys that had to tick all the boxes. Yeah. And when I was doing that, I was playing really good football. Like obviously you got to play test football come back and played against the Warriors, caught a hat-trick, um, all that sort of stuff. Mm. And that's because I was ticking all the boxes outside the field. And the other side of it as well, like I was always kind of like the boys' boy as well. I loved being in group chats and WhatsApp groups and and loved having a beer on the weekend and all that sort of stuff as well. But that sort of is how YKTR started. I hung around two boys that loved to get on the piss and yeah. I was one of those guys as well. So, um, yeah, there was two parts of me. When, when I was ticking boxes, I was playing really good football. I was never a superstar. I was never going to be. Um, but could do a really good job for you and have an influence on the result. And then there's the other side where I'd be going out on the weekend and you'll start thinking, fuck, I wonder why my footy's going down. down <laughs> <laughs> and that was probably the reason why. So you mentioned your, um, obviously your game against the Warriors when you'd moved to the Panthers, uh, absolute clinic, three tries. Was that, was that sort of the game of your career? Yeah, easily. Um, it's just like, sometimes you hear about players or artists and they talk about that, that flow state or mm. that state of flow. And it's like, you can't really remember it. That's, that's what that game was like. Like, I don't like only reason I remember it is because people show me highlights every year when it pops up. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't remember the lead up. To, only thing I remember is Ivan on captain's run going, just treat it like an, another game. And the only thing I remember after the game is goes, you won't get that every week. There's, and the, yeah. that 24 hours between that, like I don't, I literally don't remember it. So True. I love to sit there and go, yeah, like I was seeing things like super clear and <laughs> yeah. I was hitting watermelons or the hoop looked like that big. Like I wish I could say that stuff, but it just wouldn't be true. And I know, I know it'd make good micro content. I get that. <laughs> but like, I literally don't remember it, bro. I don't remember a thing about it. And on the back of that game, you get called into the Kiwis, which was probably a little bit of a shock. What, what was it like finding out that you'd made the Kiwis? Um, actually, it was, it was actually the year after. So I, I strung it together a pretty good 13, um, played the whole season there. And then the next year was weird. So we just signed Peter Wallace and Jamie Selwood. So they got first crack at 5'8". Yeah. And I was kind of in and out the first six weeks. And then I actually made the Kiwis from reserve grade. True. So I, I, yeah, I dropped, dropped back to reserve grade, um, not by form, just out of circumstance because the boys are back in. And then, so I was playing reserve grade and then I got called into the Kiwis from there. So it reminded me of that time I played for Odahu and yeah. the next minute I was playing for fucking NRL. So, um, I wasn't flustered by it, but, um, yeah, like I really enjoyed the experience. So eh? <laughs> we got like 40k. Like I got 40k for that game. I remember, right? Jackpot. No wonder you was confident and stoked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%. And I come off the bench as well. So it was the first time I'd ever come off the bench. First time I'd ever played like a, um, test match and we, we actually went all right. We, we had a pretty young side and everyone was riding us off. Fuck, funny story actually. So I didn't think I was going to make it. So I played on a Saturday, uh, rolled into the casino, got home at five, uh, with Dean Fudder and Dean Fudder was always going to make it. And it was a Friday game. Yeah. So, um, we got caught into camp. We had to go to Chinatown and we stayed in a hotel, bro. Hung over as fuck. Didn't think I was going to make it. 
And I roll into a camp and then I sit down to have brekkie. And on the back page, it's like me versus Thurston. So Thurston's a 6'4". Yeah. <laughs> Thurston's a 6'4". <six-four-four-four-four-> and I'm the 6'4". And they were, they were comparing our last couple games. <laughs> so they're like, oh, Ice is on um, 120K and Thurston's worth a million dollars. And then Ice's next game, he's playing reserve grade up in Cessnock. <laughs> so, and I'm just sitting there like hungover, stuff like this, and then looking at that. And then we went out for dinner and um, Stephen Cleary – Stephen – Kearney was our coach mm. and he goes, oh, all right, boys, everyone just have a couple of beers tonight. It'd be good. And like, I literally couldn't eat cause I was too hungover. Yeah. And he goes, oh, are you going to eat? I was like, well, oh, I can't bro. Like I'll fucking spewed up. He goes, why is that? He goes, oh, bro, I'm just hungover. <laughs> to be honest, I didn't think I was going to make it. So yeah, that was a that was the start of my Kiwi camp. But, um, even in that game went good. Like I said a little bit earlier, like as the games got bigger, I feel like I could always rise to occasion. Mm. But if you watch me play down on park footy, you'd be like, fuck, who's this dad? <laughs> <laughs> so is that quite common to just go out on the piss um, before camps and stuff like that, or is that sort of a league thing? Yeah, oh, it would have been back in the day. Yeah. Like Ivan was kind of like if you lose if we lost three games at the Warriors, all right, boys, everyone's on the piss on a Monday. True, <laughs> and like trainers, yeah, everyone there, but like the coaches will come for the first four or five. Yeah. Um, training will stay with us. We'll have a few beers. Everyone home by midnight. We were there about two o'clock in the afternoon. Far out. Beauty win. Week. So that that was kind of the culture. I don't I don't think it's like that anymore. Not not definitely not anymore. But um, that was a Sunday night. So um, Kearney's like, oh, first night in camp. Let's have a couple of beers together. Like nothing crazy, bro. Like four or five beers and a bit of dinner, and that's about it. But back in the day, it was, it was a vibe, bro. It's crazy. <laughs> Monday Mondays down and up in Ponsonby, just getting blind. <laughs> Grouse. No one around, so so you can't really get in trouble. Yeah, no social media back then, really, was there or was there? Nah. Oh, starting, starting like Facebook, yeah. MySpace. Oh, yeah. That's how old we are, bro. Bebo. Yeah, Bebo. <laughs> Rolling to Denny's after, have a feed and cruise sure. home. So it was good. Mate. And then the next move was to Manly? No, no. So, so I went to UK after a thing, but fucking fuck that. Um, so what happened there? Tra- what happened in the UK? Oh, I just I signed a three-year contract and it kind of just fell out with the coach out of nowhere. Um and it was, it was a weird coach. Like he was technically he was very sound, but he was kind of going through a divorce and stuff at the same time. So oh, yeah. some days you'd be sweet and you'd be your mate next day and you fucking walk in on eggshells around him and True. like snap, just snappy. So um, when you come from like Tony Ira and, and um, Ivan Cleary, who's like laid back and, mm. and well thought out, they don't waste words. And you go into this guy who's going like, you fucking stand up. Like what the fuck are you doing here in video? <laughs> feel like you're in the assembly right. intermediate and in trouble. So um, just very different styles and just kind of fell out with the like coach and he just goes, he pulled me in the office one time and he goes, no matter how well you play, I'll never play you again. Or no matter how well you train, I don't care. And I still had two and a half years on my contract. Oh, wow. So I was just sitting there going like, I was 21. I was just going, what? <laughs> like, yeah. you've got me over here, like stuff like this. And like, they were playing really good football without me. Um, and I was just like, oh, cool. That's what it is. Um, then he, he used to try and give me all the shit jobs, bro. So obviously with, I understand this now within business, it's like you try and smoke someone out the business by applying pressure. <laughs> that's like a, like a business tactic that you use. So that's what he was trying to do to me. So I had to be at training at five and with the fat club, like training and I was killing, I was just training harder and harder. And he like, he could like, yeah. I was rocking out with a smile on my face. Like you couldn't get rid of me. I was just go, yeah, fuck it. I'll be going to IB at the end of the year anyway. But the best thing about it was like my back was against the wall and I started training hard as. And by the time I got back to Penrith, which was round one of the 2013 season, I was probably in the best shape I'd ever been. And I was kind of doing it like out of spite as well. But 
my first day at Penrith training, it was like my last day in Yorkshire was it was one of the coldest days in Yorkshire where it was like minus 13. Oh, right. I jumped on a 48 hour, like I trained that day, like I was in a dinner suit. I was like, fuck, I'm not getting energy for these cunts. Um, trained that day, jumped on the plane that night and it was like 36 hours before I landed in, in Penrith. And I got put up in this random hotel. I was there for a week, had to figure out a place to stay. And I rocked up to training. It was the first day, and it was the last little touch-up before round one. And, like, it was, like, it's like 45 degrees. So I've gone from, like, minus 14, jet-lagged, 45. And I've, I've told Ivan, I was like, don't worry about it. Like, I'm best shape. Because he'd seen me train at yeah. the Warriors, and, I, I, like, I used to get the highest in the beep test yeah. and stuff. Um, it was, like, me and Mannering at the end. Like, True. nice little Nelson boy. Um, and like, so, so he knew I was, he knew I was fit. And then I was going, oh, bro, I'm fitter than I was at the Warriors. Trust me. And I rocked up and I was in good shape, but it's just the, obviously the time difference and <laughs> fucking humidity. I was playing fullback. <laughs> I just like, tugging along. I was like, don't worry. I'll be, I'll be ready in a week. So, um, but it set me up. Like I, I rocked up and played about four or five games of, um, reserve grade and rolled into first grade and done a good mm. job. But yeah, that manly thing, um, I think I half mentally, I'd half checked yeah. out. I just hadn't admitted it to myself. Trent Barrow was my coach and we got along real well. Um, I was just like, oh, bro, can I just come manly with you for a year? Just see how I go. I never said that I was looking at retiring, um, but I just knew, like, oh, like I was rock- I was going to manly get on the piss, to be honest. Yeah. So um, at, at the time, I'd read a bunch of different books. We toyed with the do- idea of YKTR. Um, I had just done a bunch of traveling. I just come off the back of six weeks of traveling where we went to Bali, New York, Texas, LA for mm. six weeks, bro. And I just got back to train. I was like, fuck, I'd rather be doing that than being here. Yeah. Um, so that's when the big transition started to change and had a few injuries there. And, um, the last one was I tore my pack and I remember going to the change room and going, fuck, I'm over football. Like this is the first time I said it out loud. Yeah. Um, and I just go, fuck, I think I'm going to retire. And it was just me in the change room. And I was like, as soon as I said it, bro, it was just like, Whew, Sure. I felt like 10 times lighter and like, obviously when I look back now, I'm like, oh shit, that's pretty scary to mm. sort of leave something that you've always known. But at the time I just knew something was pulling me away and um, I knew if I hung around football, um, I wasn't going to be happy. And and Trent Barron had offered me um, a coaching gig there. So I could have coached the 20s and then he goes, oh, you'll be my assistant later. Yeah. And that's the that's what I always thought I was going to head into coaching. I thought I would be really good at it. Um, but I just had something else pulling me this other way and sort of glad I followed it. Mate, that's crazy. Crazy that you had the coaching gigs, everything set out, your your life after footy sorted, but you chased the dream of doing what you want to do. It's so cool. Yeah, and yeah, and like able to inspire a lot more people by what I'm doing. I obviously didn't know I was going to be sitting here in this like fucking nice office with staff and shit mm. like that. But um, every time my guts like dropped after football, I've always sort of followed it. Like, let's start vlogging. Like, let's start a podcast. Mm. Like, let's start YKTR Sports, um, do multiple other things on the other side. And I've always sort of followed that gut instinct. And it's kind of a weird thing to talk about, but it's always sort of steered me in the right direction. So cool. Do you look back at your footy career and think you would have done anything differently if you had another if you had another crack at it? Um, yeah. So I feel like me and Scope were talking about this, like, like it's the same thing with business. So in, in sports, you're measured by scoreboards and business, you're measured by money. Yeah. Whenever I'm doing something and whenever I'm ticking the boxes, I'm going for runs, I'm working out, I'm eating all the right things, I'm reading books and stuff like that. It's like our business goes like that. Mm. You know what I mean? It's the same way your sports does. So um, I wish I knew what I knew back then, but then in the other breath, I'm glad things went that way because I was, like I'm 32. I might have just been retiring like a year and a half ago mm. or a year or I might be in England trying to – I can scratch for a deal, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, 
No, I'm grateful for, for the way the things worked out. My injuries were the favorite, my best part of my career because it led me to reading. Um, me partying with the boys led me to YKTR. So uh, everything happens for a reason. And um, let's just put it this way: if 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 Wayne Bennett come through and offered me like a three year contract on fucking 500k a year, I'd happily turn it down. Yeah, and because the, the position I'm in right now, I'd rather be right here. Um, I control my own destiny. I control what my days look like. Um, I can travel whenever I want. Obviously, besides COVID, mm-hmm. um, I can do whatever I want, bro. And that type of freedom is 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 exciting to me. When you're in football, bro, it's like like be here, wear this, yeah. say this, make sure you're the airport by this time. Oh, you're in front of media, don't say this. Yeah. Like get to this corner. If we do, if we complete it, thirty five, uh, thirty five sets out of forty, we have a good chance of winning. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, and it fucks you after football because you're so used to being told what to do, especially if you're going from school to football. Once you get out, you think you're chasing freedom, bro, but you're actually not. Like, you actually crave that routine again. So, like, I, I left football and I was like, oh, this is going to be the best. I'm just going to get on the piss and, and sleep in. And, and then after about a month or two, I'm like, fuck, I'm, like, scattered. I didn't know what to do. So yeah. sort of restructured my life, how it had been my whole life. And 9 o'clock, do this. 10 o'clock, do this. And I felt my life a lot better off the back of that. True, man. That's so, so cool to hear. So did you, your plan, was your plan always to get into sort of the content creation sort of thing or how did you sort of get into where you are now? Um, so when I was at Wakefield, we used to do this thing. So we had three teams within your sports team, um, with our footy team. And like, obviously say there's 30 in your squad, there was 10 in each squad. And then they, you had to make it like a parody style video mm. and then present it. And then the loser had to dance in front of everyone. Now it's just yeah. kind of like the thing that they did. And just cause I was a new guy there, Richard Agar made me like the leader. And then I, I, I filmed like our, my very first vlog and like it was like, compared to the boys, it was elite, like the, the thought of angles and, and the sounding and like I learned how to edit on the spot there. Mm. Um, started doing that. Used to lo- watch a lot of YouTube as well. I was big into Vice and there used to be a um, Nate Robinson YouTube thing called State of Nate and we used to watch that all the time. So me and Chico just done like our own version of that. That was kind of like my second vlog. Yeah. But I just found when I was traveling, I just wanted to do videos and take photos and like people look at Kalen now and think he's like the coolest dude mm. um, taking photos. But when I was doing it, I was getting paid. Like I was a footy guy that read books and took photos and like, <laughs> wanted to talk about different shit and I was, I was a fucking weird. Um, You're ahead of you your time, I mean? bro. So, yeah, I know. That's what I, say. I tell the boys. I fucking paved the way for you. Um, I was just – those types of interests is that like – Walking around and learning how to edit on the camera, oh, take photos and like manual and, and shoot content and uh, read books and do online courses. I was always kind of into that stuff because mm. that was the stuff that interests me. Um, but I never knew content was going to be the thing. I knew I could make it, but I found when I started listening to Gary V, um, he said like each clothing brand should have a vlog or each clothing brand should have a podcast and um, it was a big part of everything that we've done. Like mm. I started vlogging. I'm glad I did because people like, oh, you're lucky you, you're there now because you know football players. Mm. Like, oh, I go back to like vlog number one on YouTube and you'll see me fucking about to cry on <laughs> back orders. Fucking stressful as fuck. Yeah, I bet. And clothes. So so why why sort of clothes? Because I've, I've heard you say before you don't even really like clothes, but why did you go down the clothes route instead of, uh, another sort of product. I um, just felt like it was the easiest thing to do. It just had an easy entrance point. Like you could, like anyone could start a clothing brand mm. today. Like it's not hard to go down and um, put four letters on a t-shirt. <laughs> and it was just kind of that. So we, we were going out heaps and we were just like, YKTL was just something we used to sell like girls accounts, like, you know, the rules. And it kind of just stuck because it looked a little bit weird. Like even when I say like, when people go, what's YKTR stand for? And I say, you know, the rules, they still go like, kind of had this little catchy thing yeah. about it. 
And then we printed it on a t-shirt one time. And I was like, oh, that looks kind of cool. And we were going for general pants and we're like, fuck, I feel like our stuff looks better than this. Mm. So it was just kind of that inquisitive thing about it. Um, but it just felt easy. Like I know a lot of people got clothing brands right now, but there wasn't anyone that we could look to that was like, it reminded me coming from Toke when there was no NRL players from there. Yeah. I was just like, fuck, why can't we do that? And it was kind of more that inquisitive thing as well. And obviously we started making them and we're selling them to our like footy mates for like 20 bucks. And we're like, like, fuck, we're killing it. We're killing it. And then we kind of just grew off the back of that as well. And it's not like I was into clothes at the time. I was into shoes. Um, Like I used to have like 80 pairs of shoes and used to like line up online. So I was into clothes at the time. Yeah. Um, I think I've gravitated away from that, but uh, yeah, I just, I just thought it'd be, I thought it'd be cool when you walk past someone and they're wearing your brand. Like I, I thought that would have been cool at the time. Mm. And obviously you get to see that now, but, um, that was just, that was just kind of like the easiest business I could think of, to be honest. And now everyone's wearing it. It's, uh, it's taken over, yeah, taking over really, Australasia. Yeah. Right? It's, it's on absolute <laughs> fire. So it's, it's crazy how you sort of, um, still blown away with how you sort of had this contract to, um, do, be an NRL coach or have a progression into that uh, setup, but then you sort of gam- you gamble because obviously you didn't know you were going to be making money from clothes or like enough to sort of live off. Or how did you sort of survive that first period? Did you have money saved up or did you have investments or what was the sort of go there? No, no. So it was kind of weird. Like the day that my contract finished was the day that my house cleared. So I bought a house off the plan two years yeah. before when I was at Penrith. So I went from Manly, which is like a beautiful part of the world, all the way back out to Penrith. Um, so, and then I just had a house in a two bedroom. I was like, oh, cool. I'll just put YKTR, all the clothes in that spare bedroom and we'll try and grow yeah. from there. And, um, I had a bit of savings behind me, but it just went like that. It went, yeah. And like, I was struggling for like, oh no, do you know what? I actually played park football. Um, I was getting paid $1,000 a game to play reserve grade. Oh, yeah. Fucking the most lackluster effort you'd ever see from it. From <laughs> like people looking like, this is come play Kiwis. Nobody um, on the line there. <laughs> no, no, no. And the thing was, bro, like you had to, I had to pay for my own health insurance over here. Oh, true. Uh, with that team. So I was so used to it just being paid for me. Yeah. And like, I couldn't afford to pay the 150 a month because yeah. that's just like, I was paying off a mortgage and it was only interest only and I was like trying to get by on food and stuff. Mm. So I made a decision not to pay the interest. I mean the, the insurance yeah. and then fuck dinner suit straight on, like never in the line <laughs> making fuck all tackles. Cause I knew if I got injured, I wouldn't be able to post on my white KTR stuff. <laughs> so but you should have seen how far back I was playing from the line. And I just knew, I knew if I got injured, this could fuck my white KTR thing because yeah. I was the guy, I was, I was handpacking everything. I was building all the websites. I was doing all that sort of stuff as well. Mm. I kind of just had no money, bro. I was getting by. Like, I wish I, I think I still got the photos. It should be in my iCloud. Like, I remember going to the supermarket with like gold coins in my hands. True. And it was like, it was like 14 or $15 in gold coins that I'd found. And I was like, fuck, I need to get food for the next week. And, like stuff like that. So oh, you're going yeah. from getting paid six mm. years as an NRL player, whacking through all your savings, trying to pay off a mortgage. Mm. Um, you think you need because everyone's told you that you need to buy a house or you should have a house by the time you finish football yeah. and to walk into the supermarket with <laughs> my hands going, fuck, what can I get for this? And it was mad. Like, and then saying that, bro, like, I, I could have gone to my mom and gone, hey, mom, like, fuck, I need some money. Like, she would send me some money. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it wasn't like do or die. Mm. But also, before things started to get really good, or not, not even great, like, um, my, my power got cut off. So when you run an e-commerce business and you, <laughs> you need power. So I was down the bottom of my house 
and where I used to park my car. It was a brand new house. There was a power point right by my car. Yeah. So I used to go down there, plug it in, and then just run my KTR from an iPhone down there. Holy hell. Uh, power got cut off. Used to have to drive to the post office to do all my deliveries and stuff. Car smat, like car engine blew up. It's like a five thousand dollar fix. I was like nowhere near that like yeah. type of money, um, and it just it was just kind of like I knew I, if I got through that period, I could get through anything. Mm. And um, that was just my time where I had no power for two weeks. I was just having cold showers. And then saying that Natasha, who works with me now, um, she lived across the road, had this beautiful house. She goes, "I oh, come over, you can have internet, hot showers, and stuff like that." And yeah. I, like I said, like I'm selling, like I'm doing it tough here, but I, I was putting myself in those situations as well because I knew. If I go over and have a hot shower, I'm just taking like the easy way out. That was kind of the way that I saw it. Mm. And then um, we started to go all right. Like I started vlogging and we started going all right. And I got my first pay as YKTR and it was like 35000 a year. That was like my first pay. True. And that was like, I think it was like four fifty a week. And I yeah. was, I think my interest only loan was like 300 bucks a week. Oh, yeah. And that, fuck. Honestly, when I got that and we cleared that with the boys, like I said before, like I made $40,000 playing one game of football. And yeah. that 35,000 has felt like the most money I've ever made in my whole life. And in a position now where I've um, got multiple streams and doing, and doing good things and buying Bitcoin and shit like that. Mm. Um, I've never, I've never been more excited than I was driving home that day and making 35k a year, 450 bucks a week or some shit like that. I was like, fuck, I've made yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever get to the point where you felt like it was too much? You were going to, you were going to give up on it or no? Yeah. Yeah. A couple of times. Yeah. Like, um, I just, I was like, I put myself under so much stress. Like, I got rid of my TV. Like, if I wasn't like working on YKT, I was online courses, I was books. I was like, I was up to like two in the morning. Like, I get up at, I got up at two thirty this morning. Like, mm. I used to be up at two in the morning. Um, then I would sleep at five. I had this weird thing that I was going to get out worked. You know what I mean? So, it's a really important part that I had to go through. And the reason why we can sit here today is because I went through that time. Yeah. But also, like, I just put way too much pressure on myself, and I was just stressful. I was angry. I was snappy. Um, I remember looking back and like people, like we sold out something, bro. And I remember like almost crying, like because I was just so tired and like. But that back in the day, is like when we used to sell out, I was like, fuck, now I have to pack like a couple hundred orders tomorrow. And it was just <laughs> bang, bang, bang. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Fuck, it was, it was, I had, we had, to, I associate that as like the preseason of like, mm. if you go through that, you can set yourself up for a little bit later. And that was just kind of my little eighth to nine month preseason. Mate, that's inspiring stuff from the bottom, as Drake once said. What start at the bottom? Now you're here. <laughs> what a yeah. what a journey! But you, and also your podcast as well. You've got one of the great podcasts on the on the market at the moment, the Ice Project. So when did that start? Yeah, I was just I was um, probably about a year after we started vlogging. Like we had an office in Parramatta, and I just found myself having really inter- interesting conversations with a lot of people. I feel like I could always speak really, really well and and. Um, like a lot of people used to say you're very unassuming because I'd be like a like a islander from Tukuru that plays football and I'd sit in conversation. Like I could have a diverse conversation. So I just kind of wanted to evolve from that. Um, I just wanted to interview people. Um, the main reason I'd done it, bro, is because like if, if someone comes asks me, hey, bro, can I buy you a coffee if I can pick your brain for an hour? Like I, I used to kind of be that guy. I was like, hey, bro, can I come spend some time with you because yeah, I want to yeah, learn from you? Yeah. Um, but what you learn about podcasts and everyone's favorite subject is themselves. Like I'm like, oh. What a lad! Like he's he's a good pot. Like this is basically I'm just talking about myself, and it makes me feel good. And I knew that. So when I interview people, I get them talking about themselves, and then um, I could sort of build a network off the back of that. So that was yeah. kind of like the main reason I've done it. Eh? Like 
It's, it's, it's easier to get someone on the podcast than it is to spend an hour with them asking them if you can buy them a coffee. Because essentially um, you're saying their time is worth four bucks. Yeah. So that's, that's how like successful people see it. They're like, oh, I can make a thousand bucks in an hour. Why am I going to go spend four bucks? Yeah. Listen to another guy selling a clothing brand. So, um, that was sort of the main reason. Um, but I just needed more content as well. Mm, mate, that's so cool. And YKTR, you talk about more content. YKTR sports is formed and, um, changing sports media. One of the, one of the coolest things. What was the idea behind this one? Um, I heard myself, like I was complaining about Fox Sports a lot, um, talking guys about NRL's 360 and stuff like that. And I, d- I remember listening back to the loop on the micro clip and I was like, oh, they should be doing this, this. And then I remember hearing it back and I was like, bro, if you're not going to do anything, like shut the fuck up. Like, mm. you know what I mean? And it was kind of one of those moments and my nan had passed away. Um, and I was flying back this way and I had no, I remember my phone going flat and I just had a, I always carry like a blank pad and pen. Just whenever I have ideas, write down or write down new business models and stuff like that. And I had three hours on a plane where I don't really watch movies on planes and stuff as well. I just like to sit there and think and stuff like that. And it was kind of built off the back of that where I was just like, oh, if you're not going to do anything about it, like how can we change it? And we started looking at different business models like Barstool Sports and Complex and, and um, Bleacher Report and stuff like that. Mm. I just felt like you could do better. I just felt like we could, be, um, as a country, we could be better in terms of packaging up this product that we have in rugby league and distributing it out to fans in a, in a different way. And I've seen the success that we'd had off the back of YKTR. So fuck, why can't I do this for more people? Or why can't we bring in more talent and, and change it? And to be honest, it's changed a lot, bro. We were initially going to be like a complex style where we would create our own shows and it might be like a sneaker shopping or hot ones or like we kind of want to do that content and we will, we will. but because of COVID, we were kind of limited. So we just went full podcast mode. So um, that's the idea behind it. We've got some pretty cool projects coming up in the next couple of weeks that you'll probably see where we're trying to head down. Um, obviously can't talk about them too much now. Yeah. But then after back of that, it's just built a better relationship between players and fans. Cause right now there's this big media wall that dictates narrative and we just want to break that down and it should be direct to fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Sean Johnson probably does it well best at the moment. Like I thought we were going to be the company and they're like, all right, Sean, he's going back to the Warriors. Like, he might, he'll want to come speak to us before he goes to speak to, but the best way to do it is just go direct. Yeah. Like, everyone's got a social media account and probably Sean, he does, does it the best, bro. Yeah. Like, he's self aware now. He's a little bit more mature. He's older. Um, he, he articulates himself well. So if, if he hears rumors about him, he'll just jump on. Hey guys, hearing rumors. And yeah, that's the way it yeah, should be. Yeah. Like you shouldn't let the media dictate your own narrative. So, um, but I think we've had a, minor influence on how people operate now. Mm. Um, but I just want to scale it out and there's a few different business models you can build off the back of it, but I think we can be a big player in the space pretty soon. Mm, no doubt. And you talk about like the player brands, Sean Johnson's player brand, etc. What do you think um, players need to do to sort of grow their brand, especially these young guys coming through? What's, what, what's, what advice would you have for these guys? Um, there's a couple of guys that I'm kind of tight with now from New Zealand that will probably reference, um, TJ Perinara yeah. does it really well, Artie Slavia and Aaron Smith. Mm. And those are the three guys that are probably in my DMs more than anyone else. Um, like for guys that are super successful, like Artie's just gone on to captain um, the All Blacks and Aaron's played over 100 games and, and TJ's doing his thing as well. He's back in there. Man, the types of questions that they ask, they move like a little bit differently. And the way that my my 
answer to that would be maximize your leverage right now, but maximize your leverage in the right way. Like don't, don't use your leverage to skip a line and get a coffee or, yeah. or get a free line of kombucha or come to YKTR go, Hey bro, I've got fucking 5,000 followers. Give me some clothes. Yeah. Maximize it in the point where right now you're relevant and people are interested in what you, and what you, what you want to see and what you want to do or what you're doing in your everyday life. That's, that's the catch. Mm. Like a lot of people think they want to see the 80 minutes at the end. Now, like what's Ricky Iwani, like what's he eating at Macca's on a drive-thru? That's content. Yeah. Or what's he doing a day off? Like that's content. Um, mm. What are the boys talking about when they go from field to weights? Like, uh, uh, that's, that's where the beauty part of content is right now. And, and that's why reality shows are really popular and, and people like myself can create vlogs. So people are actually interested in your everyday life. And mm. it's not so much about the training. It's not so much about the football. Cause we see the polished product at the end. We see the 80 minutes. Um, bro, what's fucking Aaron Smith doing on a Tuesday? Like, mm. and, and that's, that's how I see content. So, um, I'd be creating my own content in some way, shape or form, whether it be podcasts, vlogging, um, Q and A's are really important. Um, create a touch point with your fan base, build a community, and then later on you can add a product. Um, we call that product to market fit. So you is it an all black? You've got the ultimate leverage. Yeah. And it's just like, how do I maximize this, but do it in a way that um, that's positive, that can make a change. Um, and once you get that DM, like, hey, bro, you've changed my life, man. That shit becomes euphoric and it gets addictive and mm. you just want more of it, bro. So you start to gravitate towards that. And you find you can monetize it sooner or later through some way, shape or form. And like I've mentioned those boys as well. We've kind of got a business model that we're potentially going to chase next year. Uh, I think it's going to be really cool and I think it could really work. So yeah, that's types of convos I'm having at the moment. Mate, exciting times. And another thing around that space is NFTs. I'm pretty keen to hear your thoughts on NFTs and how that's going to come into the game of rugby and rugby league. Um, it's going to take a while. I don't think there's a do, – do you own any Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency? I've got crypto, yeah. Yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah, cool. So like – in this in this office where I I'm like hey boys get in crypto like I've been saying this since like February boys get into crypto get in crypto probably the boys collectively would only have about two thousand dollars worth of crypto in there you know what sure. I mean and yeah um, we just don't have that full adoption of it as well in terms of NFTs I think it's going to be a big space moving forward um, I think all tickets are going to be sold through that as well so imagine having a like an, you know we used to put tickets behind. Like, oh, I was at the 2011 grand final when yeah. Beaver hit that. Like, that can become an NFT pretty soon. But the way I sort of see it in um, player sort of space, and I've talked about this before, um, let's use Ali Salveh. He's probably the most forward-thinking um, athlete in New Zealand right now. So mm. he could sell an NFT every single year and say like a gold standard one would be worth – um, say, say he's 100 NFTs and the gold one's worth $20,000. So instead of a business going to sponsor the Hurricanes, um, because they love Adi Savia, potentially they could sponsor Adi as a gold NFT for $20,000. But as a part of that token, um, Adi's going to give you two, um, you can do two campaigns with him throughout the year. You get invited to his networking space and dinners and the other guys that have four NFT, the other, um, four holders of those gold NFTs, you get a networking opportunities and you get to like, you know what I mean? You start to think yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And you tear it down to like a silver version and silver version might get you, um, a signed jersey from a Blazlow Cup game and you get to rock up to a game and that's $15,000. Mm. Um, then you go down and then you just have all these different levels of tokens and you can level it out like that. And, and, and that way a player can maximize the potential of his own brand without taking too much away from, um, unless you like ad sponsors and, and all yeah. that sort of stuff like that. So I think that's going to be the way forward. And then that's when you'll see guys, and this is why I'm talking about content right now. So like 
you create your content or you start liking every comment that's hey bro thank you thank you thank you um thanks for coming to the game appreciate you guys all that sort of stuff hey guys i'm just in the locker room after the game let's go have a quick chat you build that community you build that trust and when you drop that product in as an nft um you're going to have a you can make a bit of money and then um Mm. you can also create like um make a change as well and the fun thing about nfts bro once you build them into a smart contract you can have royalties off the back of that as well. So you might have a fan that's bought a $100 NFT and then say Artie's form starts going up. Yeah. Um, and you know what I mean? And that NFT is worth potentially $200 now. If he sells that to that person, um, Artie can get a clip back on the royalties as well. So right, right. it's interesting. Eh? It is. It's, it's still crazy. a while off. Do you think you have to be an all black or what level would you, would you start looking at, at it? Say you're a like young 19 year old, Prodigy, would you even get into that space or do you think you need to be more elite? Um, obviously, the more elite guys are going to get the bigger deals. It's the same yeah. way with sponsorship. Like Aaron Smith probably gets a better Adidas deal than I would ever would because he's a fucking 100-tier <laughs> All Black or Dan Carter. So um, there's always going to be levels to that. But there, you might launch a like – I talked about this before. So in, I was into sports cars last year. But you might have a rookie NFT as well. So in mm. sports cars, your rookie card is always worth the most because you only get one rookie card. Yeah. So people value that rookie card more than any other card. Potentially, like, they could get a little clip from that as well. But obviously the numbers won't be as wide. Like, Artie might be able to sell 1,000 NFTs where this person might be able to sell 100. Yeah. But it'd be great, like, for a fan-building exercise as well. But in saying that, like, the best players, the, the guys with the most leverage are always going to get the most money. That's just the way it is. Right. Exciting times. Looking forward to seeing that sort of stuff get into it and see who, who stays ahead of the game, eh, in that space. I think Artie, Artie would be there. He's Yeah, I, I saw a post that he put out like an NFT teaser the other day. I'm not sure um, if he's coming out with something like that soon or I'm not even sure what the NZRU requirements around it them are, whether you, if, even if it's possible, because I know they own a lot of the player rights at the moment and whether that can change or what that sort of looks like. Eh? I've been um, talking to Clint Newton who runs the Rugby League Players Association over here and they've done, they're doing yeah. CBA pretty soon for NRL and I was like, bro, you got to go in and, and let the players have their own rights to their own name. So within NRL, mm. say Corey's going to go play, I can't film him. Film him on game day, like that 24 hours of game day, the NRL own the rights yeah. to him as well. That's kind of like where the gold is. Like we we done we yeah. done a podcast, we done a vlog a couple of years ago, and he ended up in winning Droppy against West Tigers, and we filmed up the whole day, bro. And it was just bro, it was the best content. I was up all night editing it, and I dropped it at seven o'clock the next morning, and, and got this mad reaction off the back of it. But like that's where the gold is, bro. Like I know a lot, yeah. I know a lot of people see the eighty minute performance and stuff like that, but right now, mm. like basketball is my favorite, one of my favorite sports. Never watch a full game, bro. What? Mm. What's Russell Westbrook wearing? He's in, a, he's in a skirt at the moment. Or what's LeBron? And I love watching his kids come up and where these boys eating or stuff like that, bro. So I find that little cross correlation mm. between culture and sports really interesting. So cool. And, and what's the plans for you in the next sort of five years? What what's the what's your dreams? Um, just be happy, bro. To be honest, like if, if that's my personal one, like I. I love everything about my life right now. Love it from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep. And I just want to be in this position where I do that. I want YKTR Sports to be like a serious player. Um, I don't know where we monetize that or where we sort of move from that, but I'll, I think I'll be able to figure it out. And I, just, I want YKTR 
Um, my goal is to pro- pro- provide the most value, either entertainment or education. Um, I just want to be a part of people's lives. I want to be a part of their watch time on their phones when they get home. I want to be a part of their wardrobe. I want to be part of things that make me ha- them happy and things that make them think as well. So that's where I'm lined up, and this is where my focus is going. And like I said, everything else, you can sell a product or service off the back of that any way, shape, or form. Um, so goal, be happy, um, and two, provide value. That's kind of it. Mate, wow, how good. But as always, we've gone to our Instagram for some questions, came up with heaps. So many fans just wanted to shout out to you, but I've narrowed it down to a few. Uh, What percentage of your income do you allocate to crypto? So I know you're big on crypto, so this is good. Um, I'm close. Like It's it's kind of hard because I've got four streams of revenue right now. So um, I live off one and then pretty much all the other ones, whatever I get, that fluctuates, like they're not salaries. So say one week I make $1,000, I'll put that whole $1,000 in. Um, Some weeks I might make 300 on top of, so like I live off my YKTR wage and then everything else goes into crypto or shares. So I'll be going pretty hard. Not as hard as TJ, but um, he's he's, 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 he's going good at the moment. He's going really good. He's making enough to, Check a fair bit in there, I'd imagine. Mm. So he'd be the same. Like, obviously, you get different salaries from um, NZRU and Super Rugby and stuff like that. So he's probably just living, I'm just guessing, he's living off one and uh, the rest is going in there, yeah. I'd say. Mm-hmm. Smart man. Okay, this one, I'm not sure there must be a backstory on this one, but thoughts on the movie The Whale Rider? <laughs> <laughs> I fucking know who that's from, too. Charlie Garvey. <laughs> <laughs> No. Um, no, so funny, like when I tore my ACL, when I actually tore my ACL, I um, ended up going up to Neighbourhood Pub in Kingsland and um, Keisha Castle yeah. was, Hughes was there. So we actually had a little thing for a while. Um, and yeah, so Charlie Gubb had a little, um, he knew about that and he used to always just call me whale rider when I used to come to training and stuff like that. So <laughs> yeah, pretty random, pretty random story. And like we were hanging out for a little bit and obviously um, had a little thing and yeah, just young and trying to chase that um, famous stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a huge fan of the movie then. <laughs> I knew. Oh, he, like, he, when, I, when, when I found out, when he found out I was jumping on your podcast, he come through my mouth yeah. straight away. Like, Fuck, what is this come on? <laughs> well, the next one's from Jacob Lillyman. Uh, when are you paying your Sky Bill? <laughs> <laughs> so what actually happened there um, I remember so like I, I got let go from the Warriors like pretty abruptly and I was like oh I'm off to England yeah. so um, I think there was a scope that come through but I'd taken off back to Tukuroa by then I was like hey bro I'm moving home like I've basically run out of money for the next couple of months and I'm off to the mount um, well, I had my girlfriend at the time so <laughs> so yeah so I can dish out on the bill I'll fix you up now bull if you want <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff. Okay. Um, ask him what the undefeated pickup line is. Um, I want to say it's undefeated, but it just gets a giggle out every time. So you kind of just go, <laughs> who are you getting these from? Fuck, I feel like you're hanging around me tonight. <laughs> um, so this used to just work. So we used to just go like, oh, like how do you – like you just be talking normal and then just abruptly you just go like, oh, how do you do that? And they'll just go like, do what? And you just go like, look so good. Like, that's basically it and just kind of roll off the back it works of that. every time works every time the Floyd Mayweather will pick up lines and then they'll laugh oh. they'll, they'll start laughing and then like get all shy and they're like do you know what they say and like what and you go if you can make it you'll laugh you can make it do anything and then the rest is up to you so 
That's that's the lead oh, up. Oh, that's man. the lead up, and you just gotta um, do the rest. Work for Keisha. <laughs> Next minute, Keisha Carter News. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, tell the listeners about chips, cheese, and mayo. Yeah, so that's a little combination and took it all. I feel like we invented it, but um, yeah, you just get like chips and cheese and mayo and sort of wrap it up, and it gets all gooey and um, it's nice. It's like you like you go to fish and chip shop, and everyone's got chips, cheese, and mayo, and then like you have that like raw fish, and it's a pretty random town. We've got the most takeaway spots per capita in. <laughs> yeah. So, see, big boys. What do you wrap it up in? No, just like fish and chips, like your normal stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, you yeah, know, yeah. you un- unload like a newspaper. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, by the time it opens up, you just, like you pick up a chip and there's like cheese hanging oh, off yeah. and mayo. So oh, if, you, if you ever great. swing through the hood, go get some. Mate, I will. That will be first on the list. Okay, top league player who'd be a superstar in Union? Oh, Tommy Turbo, obviously. Um, I know you guys sort How of do that. Going? I know you guys sort of see that Geordie Barrett um, sort of – Cross collab, but um, yeah, yeah. I, I think about like I, I think about the Wallabies if they had like a Cam Munster at twelve and and Tommy Turbo at the back and Addo Carr on the wing. Like, you can see what Corabidi, you can see what Corabidi's doing, and like mm. respectfully to Corabidi, he wasn't probably an elite winger in in league. So um, Tommy Turbo would be my first one. He could kick off both feet. He'd come from an AFL background. He's obviously rapid. Got great oh, vision. So yeah, he can kick off both feet. Like, and I mean like place kick as well. Like drop. He can hit True. a drop from like fifty um, off both feet. So he's a special talent. He's he's the obvious one. Put him at the back there. Um, yeah, Chris Latham vibe. Socks down. Put the torpedo through. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, but how, how good is Turbo going at the moment in the, in the NRL? Yeah, right, he's just absolutely killing it. He's going to ride and obviously went up against Melbourne and, and they're fucking the crusaders of – they just seem to shut everyone down. So um, mm. and they're a special side as well. I love seeing sides like that. How do you reckon Cleary would go? I know good, you probably uh, mentored him through the, through the age grades at – the Warriors, he was your ball boy, wasn't he? He watched a lot I'd of love your games. Say, I'd love to say that, but any further from rather from the truth. But um, he'd be good. Like he's got a big enough boot. You know what I mean? Like a lot of us leagues don't have crazy boots, and I know, I know, um, like the ball's a little bit different. Like in Union, the ball's a bit shorter and it's not as heavy, and, and you can get yeah. behind it. But he's a sweet striker of the ball. Um, he'd be awesome. I think mm. Matt Burden. Bro, he's he's yeah. he's one guy that's got a massive boot. For some reason, lefties seem to kick the ball a lot better than right footers. So, uh, if you, if you went Clary first five, Munster second five, Matt Burden, um, Senna, Tommy, Slater's bit as late. It's coming. Tough it's coming me, this eh? way. It'd, it'd just be a nice sort of matchup. You know what I mean? Then you obviously got yeah. Richard Moanga and the Barrett boys and David Harvey. He's probably mm. one of my favourite players at the moment. Like like obviously, oh. there's a tec- there's such a technical side to rugby that um, a lot of people don't appreciate. Um, and they'd have to learn that, but Nath, uh, I think Nath would pick it up pretty quickly. He's a smart cookie. Smart man. How do you reckon um, Roger's going to go? Good. Well, where do you see him playing? Obviously, you'd know a bit more than me. Mate, I think he's going to have to start on the wing, but see where he ends up and how quickly he can learn it. A centre or fullback would probably be his best position, but I think he's going to have to start on the wing to sort of learn the game the best. Yeah, we'll – we were talking about this the other day. So, like, I like fullbacks when they can kick a ball as well. And, um, mm. like, I, I know, like, Will Jordan had a more run first and those types of guys. And But they're, they're, they're yeah. like, not always have the biggest boot, but knowing when to kick is, is just as skill, like, a skill set as knowing how to kick as well. So, yeah. um, that'll be hard. But it'll be interesting, though, because in, in football, like, in league, like, he's pretty much got one option when he catches the ball. 
you just got to yeah, run it straight yeah. into ten blokes. Where if you caught the ball now and didn't like what he sees, potentially could do a kick. But does he have that kicking game in him? I don't know. But um, obviously a winger mm. like a, you could see him at Corabidi where they can sort of float around and you're not really stuck on that one wing. He'd be pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah. ideally like uh, thirteen, bro. Like uh, my, my opinion, thirteen. Harvey, mm. because Harvey can carry your kicking game as well. Like he kicks well, yeah. Um, but then yeah. you just you get him a little bit wider. And now Roger knows how to play at the back as well. You can sort of do pretty much how Quades went to Karevi, Karevi would have mm. like out the back yeah, there, yeah. and he, he can skin people. So um, he's got mm. some options. But I think thirteen would be nice for me. Do you think he makes the All Blacks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. Fine. yeah. Too good. Has to. Has to. And saying that, like something took his time to get there, eh? Yeah, people forget that too. And same with like Nani um, Lamapa. He he wasn't an instant um, all black. He even took he took like sort of four years before he really understood the game. Same with sort of Sunny. Must have been like three or four years where he was playing for. What's what's hard to pick up about that middle part of the field? Like what's the, what's the? Um, I I think the biggest thing, the hardest thing, is probably the communication they have to give the ten. You have to really understand the game. Like the ten relies a lot on their twelve and fullbacks and 13s to give them the right information. The 10's not always calling those those shots. So um, if if you've got a 12 who's played league and not giving you much, you're probably going to struggle as the 10, and then, um, yeah, the, the game, the whole game sort of malfunctions from there. And you're looking, you know, like, league is always looking for contact. Just <laughs> <Yeah, there's laughs> carry. The carry. Try and run over people and then fucking lose the ball. <laughs> Boys kick it. See you later. What, hey, can I ask you a question? Why was Conrad Smith so good? Smart. Real smart guy, like um, knew the game really well, was fit. Um, but he's he's one of those guys that you would rock up. He'd be, he'd be a little bit like you. You go watch him play a club club game, and you'd be like, "How the hell is he one of the greatest All Blacks to play?" Because mate, he wouldn't stand out in a game of club rugby. But the higher the level he went, he was just always thinking next job. Like his mindset was just yeah, he was just switched on all the time. He was fit. His work rate was massive and just his communication and accuracy was just next level. So when he was in those higher teams, mate, everything he did was just quality, you know, and wasn't making those mm. errors and things. Because, like, when you look at a 13, I was like, oh, he kind of wanted to be big and strong and bumping off people. Yeah. But I remember John Hart, he was, um, he was like our director of football at, at the Warriors. And a few of the Aussie boys are like, oh, like, what's it go for, like, um, so what's the guy with Smith? Oh, why is he always picked? And they're like, nah, pretty much yeah. it was Richie, Dan, and then him. He's like third in. And like basically the yeah. same thing that you said as well. So obviously our lack of knowledge in, in terms of union doesn't really like – obviously my non like, yeah, fuck, he's just running over people. He deserves to be yeah. there. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's interesting. It. interesting. It is because, like, I mean, he has like, – even like his catch pass wasn't that great. Couldn't kick the ball. He had – like, if you look at him from a skill and, like, strength, he was weak as in the gym. He was slow. It's like, like how, is he, how is he, like, the great – one of the greatest centres of all time? But he is. I mean, he gives hope to all the white battlers. I remember they done a room Raiders – they done a room raiders when they went to the World Cup one time, and they went into his room, and he was reading like um, <laughs> in books like that thick as well. So he must have been a clever cookie. Okay, last question. As always, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? And I know you give out a lot of free advice, and um, it's always very good quality. So this is going to be potentially the greatest of all time. No, nah, I use my own one, bro. So like the big thing, my thing is, is like the way the way I measure success is like the first five seconds in the morning. Like, are you are you excited to get up or you're not? Um, that's basically it. Like that's how I measure success. Am I excited to get up or not? And people know the difference between a Monday and a Saturday. Like, 
Like when mm. it's a Saturday, they're excited because they like they've compartmentalized their life. But for me, I get to wake up every single day and do exactly what I do and, and what I want to love. Oh, exactly what I do. And sorry, fucking mixing up my words. Like, do we get to do what I love every single day? And mm. like, honestly, like I was up at 2 30 this morning. And like a lot of people see that, I was like, bro, what the fuck are you doing up at that time? But I'm excited. Like I'm excited to get up and, and, and turn up every day and, and do something and try and create something. And I'm confident, bro. Like I'll say stuff and I'll fail as well. So um, that's just me, bro. Are you excited to get up in the first five seconds or not? That's it. 2.30. How come you're up? Like that is real early. What time do you go to bed? Like what's the, what's, is there a reason behind getting up so early other than being really excited? <laughs> Nah, it's just just what time I wake up, bro. Um, I don't know. Like it's usually around three thirty. I've always sort of been an early riser, but I go to bed at like seven thirty, straight after Shortland mm. Street. Fucking tuck in. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm in bed and I watch like YouTube stuff, and then I kind of just like nod off. And then yeah. when I wake up, I just wake up and get going. Right. Get so much shit done, bro. Like no one's yeah. like, no one's inboxing me. No one's asking me for anything. There's no invoices coming out. There's no staff problems. It's my favorite yeah. time of the day. So how do you how do you get excited for those first five seconds? I mean, a lot of people would think, yeah, it's cool that you're you're waking up and you're excited to get up, but a lot of I know a lot of people, like you say, aren't. And how do they how do they get excited about that morning, Eureka? Ah, uh, it's you got to be doing what you love. So like the yeah. way I talk about my life right now is like, um, you know, when you go on holiday, bro, like when you go to Bali and and it's like, like you're like, oh. I, I got here three days ago and I've got another four nights. Like, you know what I mean? You don't know the difference between a Monday and a Saturday or anything mm. like that. That's mm. kind of how my life is. So um, it's easy for me to sit in now and go, like, if, if you don't hate your job, change your career. But um, I think it's really important if you do want to change your lifestyle or do something that you love, it's important how you spend what you do after work as well. So you got to put pressure on yourself after work and then eventually you can get to a point where – whether that's online learning or, or finding mentors or starting an e-commerce business, I don't know what your fucking thing is. You just got to figure that out. And uh, one of the questions I used to ask myself is, if I got to wake up, wake up and do, um, what would my dream day look like? Mm. And then I just reverse engineered from there. And for me, like like I said before, like I don't really love clothes, but um, I love like rocking up and hanging around my mates and and like being creative in some way, shape, or form. Whether that's marketing and uh, travel was my big one, bro. Like I said, oh, I just want to be able to travel whenever I wanted. And obviously by selling clothes, um, I'm light, bro. I, I can go to mm. New York bro, and if I've got a laptop, I can work from there or um, I can go to Bali. That was kind of like my big thing. And then I just reverse engineered from there. I wanted to be able to travel and create and be on my own terms. And I just reverse engineered from that. And here I am. Oh, so good. I mm. knew it would be the best advice we'd had. Like, oh. If, and I mean, you're doing the inner circle now too. So if people, listeners are keen to jump on this, go get amongst us. It will change your life. You, you've, you've heard snippets of ice. Shut up, bro. Yeah, you're sponsoring it, eh? <laughs> <laughs> How's, um, where do you live, bro? In Nelson, Marpua, like Tasman area. Yeah, yeah. Is that nice around there? So nice, mate. Is it? So you're the top of the north, you're top of the South Island, eh? Top of the South Island, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what's your population around there? Um, for, what's our population? Mm, 70,000. Oh, so it's quite big. Mm. It might be mm. less than that, actually. You've, you've mm. challenged me. Now that you've challenged me, I'm thinking it might be a bit less. It's not that big. <laughs> I was looking at you, bro. We're almost the same age, bro. You're like four days older than me. I know. And same weight, same height. It's yeah, weird. Similar careers. Similar, like... <laughs> similar careers. I know. It's, it is weird. Better outside of football. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> 
But, bro, honestly, really appreciate you coming on the podcast, mate. Like like I said at the start, you've inspired so many people and it's so cool seeing what you're doing. You're a um, big inspiration for me. Love watching what you're doing. Love love your podcast. Love all, all, all the attributes that you're bringing to the content game. And, mate, so cool to um, get in touch with you and um, connect with you and see see looking forward to what you've got in the future. Thanks, bro. I appreciate that. And obviously, um, great to just sort of jump on and chop it up with you. And I'm sure we'll do plenty more of these. But um, if you ever need anything, bro, you've got my inbox anyway. So hit me up. You're a lad. Appreciate it, bro. Thanks, bro. See you later.